Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Everybody good today? We're good? We're good? You slept good? You got a lot of energy? You're here for the 1030 edition of Generations Church. I'm thankful that you're here today. And uh, I blew right by this in our first service. It's right here in my notes. But today is our 11th anniversary. And uh, we opened, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was greeting people in the first service and just kind of talking and just kept talking and just blew right by it. But uh, 11 years ago, for those that don't know the story, and no number of you do, but uh, for those that don't know the story, we opened uh, at Sequoia High School. And uh, we met there as a campus of Mount Perrin North, which was a church or is a church, a healthy, thriving church in the Marietta area. And uh, they launched us as a campus. And so we met for 209 Sundays in the high school. Uh, most all of that, like 99% of that was at Sequoia. We had to go to Creekview for a few weeks. We went to Dean Rusk for or, uh, Holly Springs Elementary, I guess, it was Hickory Flat Elementary for like a week. But uh, most all of those weeks were at Sequoia and spent 209 Sundays there and then moved into this building upstairs in 2016 and then expanded that space a couple of times. And then we separated from Mount Perry North. They planted us as a a standalone autonomous church in 2017, and then we expanded into this space in 2020. And man, just an incredible journey over these 11 years. And I'm thankful for all of you that are a part of that, whether you've been here for all 11 years or you've been here for about 11 minutes. uh, We're thankful for what you are a part of and what God has done and what we believe God is going to do in this next season of ministry. So I am thankful that you're here today. Welcome to those of you that are online today. Uh, I I shared with our G team a few weeks ago at our Christmas party, but last year, 2022, uh, we reached over 60,000 people with Generations Church Online, and uh, I'm thankful for that and just believe that's just the tip of the iceberg for what God's going to do in the expansion uh, of our ministry here and just helping reach more people uh, with the the gospel. And uh, you heard Pastor Aaron talk about it just a minute ago, so I won't rehash all of it, but man, 21 days is off to a great start. We're about a third of the way through And I know there's a lot of things you could be doing. There's a lot of things you are doing. I had a guy tell me in the lobby, he said, I'll I'll get up and pray for you if you'll come pray with me. But he said, I got to be at work at five, so I can't meet you at six. I was like, well, you just pray for us where you're at. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, But uh, we're meeting every Monday through Friday for the next couple of weeks at 6 a.m. for a time of worship and prayer and just going to God's word. And this last week, the speakers, uh, we've had a different person teaching each day, and they have done a phenomenal job just helping us to dig into God's word, a different chapter out of the book of Acts each day, and give us something to think about and what God may want to do through that text in our hearts and lives. And so I'm excited about it. Yesterday, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock on Saturday. So I'd love to invite you to join us. I know school's starting back for a lot of people. Some of you already jumped back in this last week, but with work and all of those things, be with us in person if you can. If not, throughout the week, maybe on Saturday, or jump online and join us. It's a really, really special, special time of prayer. You know, last week we started a series called Deep Change. My brother, Jason, recently wrote a book called Deep Change, and uh, it's really just understanding how to have spiritual depth in a shallow world and, and to recognize that, that God desires to do a deep work in our hearts and lives, 
And so we're looking for spiritual depth and we're looking for emotional health. And that's really the, the crux of the book. And you could pick up a copy in the lobby. It's also available in different formats on Amazon. But it's really a great book. And he preached to us last week via video. He was preaching live at a church on the south side of Atlanta. And that was streamed to a couple of their campuses. It came to our church. It was to his church in Kentucky. Today, there's a church kicking off the series in Ohio. And there's several other churches throughout this month that will start this series as they kick off their year with deep change. But what a great message last week he preached. Uh, my brother Jason is a great communicator, great teacher of the Bible. And uh, you watched him preach last week if you were here. And uh, I told him all the things that you said, that he's great, but he's not quite as great. And he's not as good looking. He's not as funny. He looks like Drew Carey. All the feedback you gave me, I gave him and he loved it. I got to be honest. He absolutely loved that feedback. But uh, great message to kick off the, the series last week as we looked at just understanding, defining normal, recognizing all that we are and all that we aren't, and that as we ask God to help create that kind of deep change in us, what, what we're asking him to do is we're asking him not to just change our actions and our behavior, but to change our essence, to like really get down on the inside of us and do that deep work to help carve out and pull out those things that do not reflect who he is. And and he said last week, and I'm going to repeat it again this week, like, this is not self-helpy. It may sound a little self-helpy in some of the terminology, but this is an invitation of the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to look at four practices out of the book uh, and really out of Scripture that will help us to, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and do a deep change on the inside of us. Today, we're starting with practice number one, which is feel your feelings. And next week, we talk about facing your past. In week three, we'll talk about changing your habits. And then in week four, we're going to talk about embracing your limits. And they're not steps. You don't do one, check it off, do the next, check it off, and move on. They're practices that every day you are doing these things. Every week, you're kind of evaluating and processing where you are. And, and that's so important in the spiritual life. It, it's not just steps to take. It's like, oh, I prayed a prayer. I'm done. Oh, I did this. I'm done. It's like every day scripture tells us we take up our cross and, and, and we, we die to self and we follow after him and we become more and more like him. And so that's what we want for all of you. And so that's really what this series is about. It's, it's that invitation of the Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives to do that kind of deep work. And so I want to start today with this idea of feel your feelings, to feel your feelings. So I'm going to start by asking you this question. How do you feel? How do you feel right now? Like, right? You feel good, right? Okay, you feel fine. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel? Like, there's a lot of ways that you could feel. You could feel happy. You could feel sad. You could feel pretty. I feel pretty. I, was, I, I don't know. If that's it. I, I feel ugly. Maybe I, I feel confident. I feel nervous. I feel anxious. I feel afraid. My personal favorite and kind of my default response for all of my life is, I'm fine. I'm fine. Now, over the last two decades, Corey has you know, assured me that's not an appropriate response to most of the questions that she's asking me. She's like, how was your day? It was fine. Okay, but what does that mean? It means it was fine. It was, it was fine, right? It's like, well, how are you feeling right now? I'm fine. Right after the nine o'clock service today, out in the lobby, I would, I would say to them, "Hey, you know, you guys good?" And they'd be like, "I'm fine." And you know, so it's now kind of a, a joke for all of us. But if we're honest, that's that's probably for a lot of guys in the room. That's a lot of the ways that we respond. Maybe not all the time, but it's definitely one of the ways that we respond. And I was thinking about it in anticipation of today. I was thinking about just over the last few days and last few weeks, some some experiences that I had where I was fine, like. 
Over the Christmas holiday, my brother and his wife, Andrea, and their four kids, they have two girls who were actually with us here in church last week, and two sons, and they were with us. And so one day I walked into my living room, and they had pulled the TV that was mounted to the wall. They'd pulled it away from the wall, and they were attempting to do something behind the television. And so they were plugging something, and they were plugging in like a gaming unit. Well, to do that, they had to unplug what I had plugged into the TV when I mounted it to the wall, and it was really kind of supposed to be more stationary, right? This is not something we just kind of move a lot. I installed it, so I want it to stay where it's at, and I don't really give warranty for my work. And so, like, I wanted it to stay there. And so here, here's, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's fine. Like, I wish somebody would have asked me because there's actually an input in the wall that you wouldn't have to move the TV. You could just plug your thing in, and it would be fine, but I'm fine. I'm fine. So I left the living room, and a couple of times throughout the week that they were with me, when I would walk back into the room, they were working it again because every time they wanted to watch television or YouTube or some other app, they had to unplug their gaming unit to plug what I had plugged in back in, so then they plugged it back in, and I was fine. I was fine. And then... Every time they wanted to play their game, they had to unplug that and plug their gaming unit back in, and I was fine, right? I was fine. But yesterday, as I was putting the television kind of flush back up to the TV and plugging in all of my stuff that was fine, then I was also Googling, how do you get sticky fingerprints off of a screen without breaking the TV? I realized how just not fine I was. I was frustrated. I was upset. Why was I upset? Because they didn't listen to me. I could have told them how to do this. They could have plugged it into the wall. They wouldn't have had to move the TV a bunch. I was afraid the TV was going to fall. It was going to cost us money. And all of these things. It wasn't just his kids. It was my kids. Everybody was guilty. And I was just not fine. But that's the word that I kept using because I was just not really willing to engage the emotions that I was feeling. I didn't want to pick a fight. I wasn't trying to make everybody angry. And so I just was, was fine. And you could ask those around me, over the years, this has been something that I do on a regular basis. You can talk to my family, you can talk to those that have served on our staff over the years, friends, family members, all of the various people around me. I talk about, and I've said this phrase so many different times, that I value emotional stability. I value emotional stability. I talk about that. And I do mean that. I think you've got to be careful to have too many highs and too many lows so close together because you kind of disrupt everybody else and they never know if you're in a good mood or a bad mood. And they're just kind of having to check the temperature every time they walk into your office or into your room. And so I do value that. But what I have unintentionally been saying to people and even to myself is that by valuing emotional stability, I am devaluing emotions. That I don't give you permission to feel what you feel that I don't give myself permission sometimes to feel what I feel, that, I, that I'm saying to you, like, I'm fine, so you should be fine. I don't really feel anything right now, so you shouldn't feel anything right now. And that's unfair to you. It's unfair to me. And so I come back to the original question. How do you feel right now? How, how do you feel in this moment? If we're being honest, it's, it's a lot harder of a question than we would care to admit because it, how often do we actually stop and think about how we feel? How often do we actually pause and really reflect on what we're feeling and why we're feeling it? It's not a hard question because we lack emotions. No, no, no. Everybody in the room is an emotional person. Some people are more demonstrative with their emotions than others, but all of us are emotional beings. And researchers, while you could feel a lot of things, researchers have really kind of drilled it down to seven primary human emotions. There's four negative, there's two positive and there's one that's neutral. The four negative are fear, anger, sadness, and disgust. The two positive are joy, excitement, and the neutral is surprise. You could be surprised, 
that your wife's pregnant, you could be surprised that your wife's pregnant. It's kind of neutral. It just depends on the context. You understand what I'm saying? So there's seven primary emotions that you feel, and most all of the other things that we could feel, they come from or originate with these seven, the positives, the negatives, or this neutral. And we all feel all of these things every day, whether we can articulate that or not. But the beautiful thing about it is that God made us this way. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 14, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm complicated. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm probably more complicated than you think I am. He knows that we are wonderfully complex because he made us that way. So if we're going to talk about feeling our feelings, how do we define that? What we're talking about here, feeling your feelings is being aware of how moments throughout your day affect you internally, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And it's important to listen to your body and to listen to the internal and the external thing, because if you don't, then you kind of miss out on what God may be saying to you. In the book, Jason wrote this, and I thought this was incredible. God more commonly speaks to you through a knot in your stomach than a voice in the sky. I think you've got to be in tune with the internal work, what God created. He gave you those thoughts. He gave you these emotions. And so God often uses those things to speak to you and to speak into your heart and into your life and to challenge you and to compel you and prod you and and get you out of your comfort or to keep you from unsafe things. Like He often speaks internally to us, and so we've got to be in tune with that. So we listen, because there's a hundred different ways and a hundred different things that he could be saying, he could be doing as we think it and we feel it. But Jason said last week, and I'll quit quoting him here in a second, he said, you can experience salvation and not transformation. We can say the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to keep working on me. I don't want that kind of transformation that actually shifts and changes the way that I think and the way that I process and the things that I feel. I just want you to forgive my sins. And he'll do that. But ultimately, the work that he desires to do is to transform us and to continue to make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So if we want deep change, we have to be able to know what we're feeling and how it affects what we're doing. So I want to go to God's word here. There's a story in the New Testament, a guy that you're probably familiar with, a guy by the name of Peter. And Peter is one of the disciples, one of the 12 disciples. And he is a guy who I love to read about Peter because he often is the first one to respond or the first one to charge out and do something. And he's always a part of kind of what's going on. He's right at the center of the things that are happening. And so I love these stories about Peter. And Jesus is about to be arrested and uh, they, they're going and they're praying and then they, they, they've had the last supper. And at that supper, Jesus is having a conversation with these guys. This is the, kind of the last night before all of these things would take place. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. It says, tonight all of you will desert me. Jesus is talking here. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the other disciples vowed the same. Like you and me, Peter's greatest strength, his confidence here, can also be his greatest weakness. And we see that in his response. Because he is the first one to kind of jump up and to answer. Later on, it says all the other disciples bowed the same, but nobody else was speaking up. But Peter was. 
he jumped right up there and he said something and he responded. And so I think if you ask Peter, how do you view yourself? Now that you've spent some time with Jesus, you've spent a few years in relationship with him, you've walked around, you've listened to the teachings, you've seen the miracles, like how do you view yourself? I think he would probably have responded and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I've got some confidence. I feel like I've got some authority that he's given to me. And, you know, I'm still a little quick tempered. You know, I just cut a guy's ear off, but Jesus fixed that. It was fine. And like, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on some things, but like, I, I think he probably would have been fairly honest about his strengths and weaknesses, but I think he would have been confident. Like, yeah, Jesus has done some things. He called me out. I'm, I'm kind of walking with him and it's, it's been really great. But what we see here in Peter is that he's also unaware of some of these deepest fears and these, these deepest insecurities. He has a blind spot like we all do. And if you know how this story plays out, Peter leaves this encounter with Jesus, and eventually later that night, after the arrest, Jesus led to this kind of mock trial, and Peter is eventually kind of standing around the campfire, and he does, in fact, deny that he even knows Jesus three times. Like, before the rooster crows, like that last time, like, he's, I don't know him, I didn't know him, I've never been with him, like, I don't know the guy. And so the question comes when you read these two accounts, when was he lying? Was he lying when he saved himself, you know, by saying he didn't know him at the fire? Was he lying when he declared that he would never deny him at dinner? No. Peter did what you and I do so often because he declared something that he actually meant with all of his heart at the dinner. But he also responded in the moment around the campfire based on some things that were going on on the inside of him and based on what was happening right around him. And so what happened? What is it that Peter experienced and how can we learn from that as we experience very similar things? I want to show you a chart. I'm actually going to show you two and they kind of go hand in hand. But I'm going to show you this chart and and, and we'll kind of walk through it together. But our actions are the things that people see. They're the things that get the press. People see those, they don't know the internal stuff, but they know the external stuff. They see what happens, our actions, our reactions, the way we talk, the way we behave, all of those things. But underneath the surface, those actions are often created by a thought. We have a thought and then we act upon it, right? So when you see somebody that does something crazy, what do we often say about it? Oh, they're out of their mind. Oh, 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 they've lost their mind. What we're saying is there's no way they thought about what they were going to do before they did it, they just did it. But 99.9% of the time, what takes place is we have a thought, I'm going to say this, and then we say it. I'm going to do this, and then we do it. And so our thoughts create our behavior. But where do those thoughts come from? Those thoughts often come from our emotions, how we feel. I'm sad, now I'm thinking about how sad I am, and so I act out of that sadness and the thoughts of myself. I'm happy, and so now I'm thinking about how happy I am, and I do something, I have an action or a behavior based on the thoughts of my happiness because I feel happy. There's all of these things that take place, but where do our emotions come from? They come from our beliefs. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about spiritual beliefs right now, but what are those beliefs that you have, that if I work hard, I will be successful? That's a good belief. But what happens when you work hard and you don't get the promotion? Your belief is disrupted, which causes you to feel anger, insecure, frustrated, and those emotions cause you to, maybe I should quit this job. They don't respect me. And now you quit because you had that thought based on an emotion because a belief was challenged. But where do those beliefs come from? From the desires that you have way down deep. What are those desires? To feel secure, to feel loved, to feel valued, to feel heard. 
And so any time that, that a desire is challenged, it's broken, it doesn't come to pass, it challenges the beliefs that our lives are built upon, which makes us feel certain emotions, which gives us certain thoughts, which causes us to behave in certain ways. And what takes place on the outside is just a small part of what's actually taking place in the whole of our lives. But we try to do something about the actions when it's all of these other things that get left undealt with. Let me show you this in a little different format and how they kind of play together in this circle. If you start at the top, my desires are what I want. They're what I want out of life. And then you take those desires and you create these beliefs, how you believe you get what you want. And then you come to the bottom, how you feel when you do or don't have it. Those are the emotions and thoughts that you have. And so how you feel based on these beliefs, which is based on your desires, and that's actually where you, your actions come in. What do I do to stop or to keep the feeling that I have right now? These actions are based on emotions and thoughts, which are based on beliefs, which come from my desires. And so if you kind of unpack all of these things and you dig into what's happening here, it makes a ton of sense when we read Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, when it says this, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever's going on on the inside of you is actually what eventually comes out of you. And so what happens for so many of us is we only deal with the external, and God is trying to deal with the internal. He's trying to dig into our hearts and into our lives and into those deep, deep secret places to say, hey, can we do this hard work? Can, can we challenge the desires and the beliefs that you have? Can we really unpack the, the thoughts and the emotions that are on the ends? Can we, can we get into those things? Because instead of just worrying about all the external stuff, if we'll start here, it will begin to, to come to, to pass. The fruit will change out of who you are. And so I think if you were to go back into this story of Peter, and you were to invite him to watch a replay of the night, like if you said, hey, Peter, we've got, we got instant replay over here. Let's sit down. We're going to watch this play out on television. We're going to go to the campfire scene, and I want you to give us kind of the play-by-play. If he were brutally honest, and you asked him, how did you feel right then? Right when you denied Christ, the first time, in between the first and second, the second time, in between the second and third, the third time, when you heard the rooster crow, like, how did you feel right then? I think he could have said some things like this, maybe. He could have said, you know what, I felt afraid. Jesus had just been arrested. I didn't know what was going on and if I was going to be arrested and, and I didn't want to die. I was afraid. I think he might have said something like I felt embarrassed. I had told my parents that following Jesus would be good for my future. And now look. I think he might have said something like I, I felt confused. I thought Jesus would destroy the Roman army and now he's the one who's been captured and put on trial. I think he might have said I, I felt sad. I love Jesus, and I knew they were going to hurt him. I think he might have said something like, I felt angry. I've seen too many people that I love be mistreated by this government. He might have said something like, you know what, I felt nervous. I had no idea what the next few hours would look like. Because when you're on the backside of an experience, you have a better awareness of what you felt in the moment, and you can usually articulate it a little better because I think if you went back, not to replay, but if you had the ability to time travel and you could go back to the night and you could stand next to Peter at the campfire before he was asked the first time, and you said, hey, Peter, how do you feel? I think Peter might have said, I feel fine. 
I don't really understand what's taking place, but this is fine. Like, it's going to work out. I feel fine. But there is a disconnect when we cannot articulate what we feel with what's happening on the outside, our behaviors, our denials. And so often what we see in the story of Peter that's true in your life, it's true in my life, is we do things we don't want to do because we feel things we don't want to feel. That's why we always return to bad relationships, perhaps. It's why we spend money we don't have. It's why we keep eating unhealthy foods. It's why we do things to hurt people that we love. Because we're trying to fix behavior or actions when we should be fixing a feeling. We should be digging into our beliefs and our thoughts and our desires. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, verse 2 says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't want to add to scripture. In no way am I trying to change this, but I think you could probably take the word mind here and insert any of the words that we've talked about here that are internal. By the renewing of your emotions, the renewing of your thoughts in your mind, the renewing of your desires, the renewing of your beliefs. Why? Because if we don't want to conform to the patterns of this world, if we want our bodies to become a living sacrifice, if we want the external to be a sacrifice to God, then we have to allow the Holy Spirit of God to renew the things that are taking place on the inside of us. It is the invitation to deep change that actually changes us from the inside out. So what do we do? What is it that we do with all of this? I think there's two things that we could do today. The first thing is I think you have to name your feelings. You got to come up with something better than fine or frustrated or all that's funny. Like those are some real things, but you got to come up with a few more than that. And you've got to be able to name those types of things. Why? Because there's going to be a next step in just a moment. But I've been telling on myself all day, like if, if I've done something to offend Corey or to offend you or to offend a coworker or a friend, if I've done something wrong and I'm the guilty party, I can't apologize to you if I don't know what I did. Not, not truly. I might can say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not sure. Can we talk about it? And then when you make me aware, like, oh, I, I recognize that. But I can't actually apologize. And I've done this hundreds of times over the years. But like, hey, I'm sorry. And it's like, well, what are you sorry for? Well, that you're mad? I don't know. I'm just sorry. I don't want it to be like this. But when we come to God and we confess to God, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. What makes you a sinner? It is not that you told a lie. The, the fact that you are a sinner, that I am a sinner, is that we are separated from God. And so God, I accept the free gift of salvation that comes from you to span the gap that is necessary for my righteousness, to stand in right standing with you and so, God, I am sorry. I confess with my mouth. I believe that you are Christ the Lord. And so I've got to recognize, I've got to be able to name what it is. And if we're honest, it feels intimidating so often, embarrassing to admit that we're angry or we're sad or we're afraid. We feel overly emotional. We might feel dramatic. We might feel out of control. So, so what if we had some different words to use as we name them? I already gave you some, but how do you feel right now? Are you afraid? Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you disgusted? Are you joyful? Are you excited? Are you surprised? Maybe there's some other words or some variations. I'm confused. God, I'm, I'm hopeful. God, I feel lost right now. What do you actually feel right now? 
you have to know what it's called to be able to admit it, to be able to confess it. And I am not a counselor. I'm a pastor. But we believe in counseling. And you may need a counselor to help walk with you through figuring out what it is that you feel, to be able to name what it is that you're feeling. But because I'm a pastor, what do I think you should do once you can name it? As you do that hard work and you invite the Holy Spirit in and maybe someone walks this journey with you, like where do you go from here? I think you have to confess your feelings. You got to name your feelings, but it's not enough just to name them. I think you got to confess them to God. I think you've got to say, God, here's what I feel. Here's what's going on on the inside of me. And as you become more aware of your insecurity and your fear and your jealousy and all the things that you don't like about yourself, you're going to feel very exposed, very vulnerable, so exposed, in fact, that you wonder, why would God love a mess like me? When you become aware of your messiness, you go, God, what? Why would, you, why would you love me? Why, why would you give your son for me? And it's at that moment, maybe for the first time, that you finally grasp the gospel. That you finally recognize that you are, in fact, a sinner, worse off, perhaps, than you ever imagined, but more loved than you could comprehend. You need his grace, and now you're finally ready to receive it. Because here's the truth. God already knows it. You just don't. I just don't. I've not really allowed myself to sit long enough and to ponder and to contemplate and to wonder and to journal and to pray and to worship and allow those things to have a name. To really say out loud, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, this is, this is how I feel. This is what I feel. And so... Holy Spirit, come into the deepest, most vulnerable, most embarrassing places of my heart. And I pray that prayer that we prayed last week from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and see if there's anything on the inside of me that doesn't reflect you and that I need to work on. Here's what you shouldn't do, because this is going to be a natural response for a lot of us. What you shouldn't do is immediately feel guilt and shame and condemnation Those are tools of the enemy. Conviction is a tool of the Holy Spirit to draw us to repentance. But guilt and shame and condemnation is a tool of the enemy. And so if you feel that, then you recognize that as quickly as you can. You isolate that and you go, okay, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says what? It says, there is therefore now no guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 also goes on to talk about this idea that our minds and our thought lives are either controlled by the Spirit of God or controlled by our flesh. And so if I want to be controlled by the Spirit of God, i got to allow God to get in and renew my mind and renew my heart and renew my emotions and deal with my beliefs and deal with my desires and really chase after being led by the Spirit of God to more and more reflect who He is and what He desires from me. So what do we do? Well, it feels a little counterintuitive, I recognize that, but we're kind of in a journey here for the next few weeks. You just feel what you feel. You name it, and you confess it. You talk to God about it. And the beautiful thing about a Christian who is in touch with their feelings is that we never run out of things to pray about. Because we can always come back to God and go, God, this is what I feel. 
I don't like that I feel this. I wish I would feel this more. I, I, I wish I would feel this. God, I, this is what I feel. What, what's causing me to feel that way, God? Would you help me to understand what, what is that deeply rooted desire, belief on the inside of me that's causing me to think these thoughts and feel these feelings and act in the ways that I, I don't want to act. I don't want to behave this way. So God, would you help me to understand? A Christian who's in touch with their feelings never runs out of things to pray about. So I invite us now to prayer. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head, close your eyes. A moment of reflection between you and the Lord. Just thinking about all that you've experienced, all that you've walked through, all that you are walking through right now. Just an opportunity to reflect. And as you do so, you may say, hey, you know what? I know right where to start. I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not forgiven for my sins. I've never asked him nor received salvation, forgiveness. He's not the Lord of my life. If that's you, you shouldn't feel guilt or condemnation. You should feel an urging, a drawing right now by the Spirit of God. He desires to save you. He, he desires that none would perish. And if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand right now. I want to pray for you. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I want the Lord to help me to recognize what I'm feeling and how it's affecting the way that I'm behaving. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. Tons of us today. Tons of us today. God, we do love you. We thank you for all that you've done so far in our time together today across both of our services in person and online. And we thank you for the work that you've done in our hearts. So God, now I pray for every person that desires a deep change, an eternal change right now for you to forgive their sins and to be their Lord. They've confessed with their mouth. They believe in their hearts that you can forgive their sins and be the Lord of their life. And so God, we pray that you would do that. And God, now I pray for every person that responded to say, I just, Lord, I need your help with my feelings and my thoughts and my beliefs and desires. God, would you help all of us to feel those things, to name those things, and to confess those things to you, to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. You already know, and yet you want us to know so that there's nothing between us. So God, help us to name them and confess them. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.